What's up, everybody? Welcome into episode number 44 of the Fantasy Scouts podcast. I am your host, Chad Workman, joined by my fellow scout, Matt Nine. Today on the show, we are going to discuss the Senior Bowl. Uh, what happened, what stood out throughout the week, what we've heard, especially on these quarterbacks. Uh, very interesting class, handful of guys. We're at the Senior Bowl. We'll give you our thoughts. Um, some other players who stood out to us throughout the week. Of course, we will make our Super Bowl predictions, give you guys some insight on matchups, player props, prop bets, and of course, score predictions, how we see the Super Bowl playing out. And we left off with some coaching hires on the last podcast. There's been five new head coaching hires in the last week since we last recorded. So we will visit those, talk about the fantasy implications there. As always, head on over to patreon.com backslash fantasy scouts. Subscribe to our Patreon there. Head on over to ffballallday.com to check out our new redesigned website. With that, Matt. Let's get into the show. All right, Matt. Just the two of us today. Uh, we're going to carry the show. Uh, that's nothing new, right? It's you and I <laughs> carry this thing. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just checking to see if Sam's listening. Um, see Sam had a dentist that. appointment, so his mouth is swollen. Yes, so um, very good excuse. We did not want him on with with that. Uh, let's get into the Senior Bowl, Matt. Um, it's always an interesting week. I think it's often a week where you do learn a bit more about the quarterbacks. Now, obviously, scouts and, and NFL evaluators evaluate these guys throughout their college season. Senior Bowl, Combine, interviews, all that stuff offers them an opportunity to get to know these players and maybe confirm uh, some suspicions that they have, check a few boxes, maybe kind of, you know, cross the T's and dot the I's. But usually a lot of reports out of the Senior Bowl are we start to hear about guys separating themselves, um, you know, in the process, specifically with quarterbacks. What did you hear slash see throughout the week? Did any opinion any of your opinions on the quarterbacks change i guess what are your kind of early reports and impressions out of uh coming off the senior bowl week well the one thing i don't like about the senior bowl is that it skews people's visions or previous thoughts on players tremendously you know we could have three years of tape they go down to the senior bowl and mobile for a week and all of a sudden you know they're the qb1 the rb2 the wide receiver three you know what have you but i will say that the guys that play at smaller schools at the senior bowl, like uh, a Malik Willis, for example, I know he's been a hot topic on Twitter late, uh, lately. It gives them an opportunity for us to see them comparably to guys who played at better programs. You know, how does Malik Willis stack up against the Sam Howells, the Carson Strongs, you know, physically from a stature, do they look the part? Do they fit the part? You know, when they're throwing the guys that played at much better programs, you know, do they fit in? And it, I guess for Malik, it looked like he did. He looked like he looked the part. And he's probably the biggest riser from the senior bowl. And it's looking like he's going to be a top 10 pick. I, before it was, there was a lot of questions, you know, maybe late one, another team sneaks back in to get that fifth year option, seeing some stuff about potential day two. It, 
I, all that's changed over the past month, month and a half. He's looking like a top 10 pick solely based off upside. We do know he's raw. There's a lot of stuff he needs to work on, but he's one of those players. If he hits, he's going to hit big, like real big. So I think he's probably the biggest riser. Uh, another guy that I saw a lot of talk around was Kenny Pickett. Apparently he had a very, well, I don't want to say very, he had a down ish week compared to maybe what the expectations of him were. Uh, he did win the, I forget what team he was on, the American team or something like that, the best QB of the week uh, award or something like that. But, you know, he just had to outperform two other guys. But like I said, compared to expectations, he had a relatively down week. So those are probably the two names that stand out the most to me as far as the quarterbacks go. And for those of you that haven't been following what Sam and I have been talking about Malik Willis over the past I don't know what he would say, 10 days or so. I like Malik Willis. He's my kind of QB. He has the skill set that I like. But for his starting point and how much work he needs to put in in order to get to that Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson type of level in the NFL, it's a very long road. And I'm not saying he can't do it, but the chances of him coming in to the NFL at his particular starting point in development is very rare that guys go the distance. That's kind of been my whole point around Malik Willis. And like I said, love, love Willis, love the player. He's got everything you could ever want, but what he did at Liberty, albeit with not really NFL quality guys is a little bit concerning because if someone is the top 10 pick in the NFL draft and he was struggling at a small school like Liberty against that level of competition. I'm not going to say it's a red flag, but it has to be concerning. Does it not? It does. But I think what you allude to in terms of his upside, I mean, that's accurate. It is a long road. Um, but some of the, you know, experts I've heard talk about it, um, uh, what's his name? Tampa Bay Trey. Trevor Sikama is his name of PFF. Mm-hmm. He yep. was on a local show here in Denver. I listened to him and they asked him how many starters he thought would come out of this class. And he didn't give a, a real firm answer, but he said, look, I'm probably not going to have a first round, first round grade on any of these guys. Meaning, you know, they'll all probably get an opportunity to start, but there's no like guaranteed starters in this class. And when that's the case, I'm going to play the upside game, but that's That's where you have to be patient and build. I mean, we talk about the anomaly that is Josh Allen and you can't compare anybody to him and his leap. Right. But you look at guys like him and, and Lamar Jackson that have really developed as a passer. What have those teams done? They built an offense around them. They were patient. They went all in with them. I mean, after the first two years of Josh Allen, you could have said, eh, let's maybe move on. He's not developing as a passer. Let's go get, especially for a Bills team that was on the up and up. You know, you could have said, let's go get a veteran quarterback that can can lead this team. They stuck with him and they've been rewarded. And that just doesn't happen in today's NFL because teams, fans, coaches, GMs, et cetera, are also impatient. So I think, I mean, that's the key with Malik Willis, right? But if it's me, you know, just with that upside, I'm I'm probably betting on him. And 
what I heard out of the senior bowl, you know, they got one of the days of practice, they got uh, a pretty heavy rain. And I think that was kind of a blessing because it shed a little extra light on these guys. And, you know, the reports were that Malik Willis really shined the most when people were struggling with that wet ball, like bad conditions. He's, he, he stepped it up where you saw Kenny Pickett. I know he didn't measure his hands. That's been a huge uh, kind of controversies, his hand size. I heard he was losing the ball. He was kind of all over the place. Couldn't grip it. Um, he did go six for six in the game. And I think he's, I think he's kind of the safest guy. Like I've heard a lot of positive things about him. He probably doesn't offer tons of upside, but maybe the safest floor. Um, and then there's some other interesting guys, Sam Howell. I don't know a ton about, I've heard Baker Mayfield comps. Um, Desmond Ritter is a guy who I think also has a lot of potential, but yes. his progressions and just his, a lot of the football IQ stuff. And he's rail thin. I mean, he's he's very small. So another guy you probably have to be patient with. And then Carson Strong, I'm a little bit familiar with um, being a Colorado State alum. He played at Nevada in the Mountain West, and he offers zero mobility. And I just don't think that's really an option in today's NFL unless you are, you know, Tom Brady-esque and you know I'm sure Carson Strong can stick around as like a backup but I don't think anybody's going to draft him to be their guy with that lack of mobility that's just not really an option in today's NFL so long story short I like Willis but I agree with you it's a long road and you can't just use guys like Josh Allen as an example of you know a leap that could be incoming for Willis because Allen's a unicorn but I think when you look at it, you have to understand that he has to go to the right landing spot where they can afford to be patient. They can develop him slowly. He's got the support system around him, all of those types of things. So um, I kind of prefer Willis out of the group just because of that upside, but it'll be interesting to see where all these guys go. To your Ritter point, I think he's in that same vein as like type of athlete that Willis is, you know, maybe some of the same traits, probably not as at a higher level. But his road is even longer than Willis's too. But again, he offers you that same potential upside that you know you crave. He's probably, a, I don't know, I'd say a late day two guy maybe. But I, I feel like at the quarterback, especially, and I think this draft is going to be a perfect example of it. It's going to show us just that it really doesn't matter how good the class is, just the demand that NFL teams need. You know, we'll see if, if we want to think back to the past two draft classes combined. Where do guys like Howell and Willis rank? probably not in the top five of, of either of the past two classes, you right. know, with the Lawrence's, the Hertz to a Herbert Burrow, um, Mac Jones, who else was last year? Justin Fields. Well, like, I don't, it, can I ask you, I had an interesting conversation with a friend uh, kind of about this topic and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Kyle Trask on their roster. Where would you rank Trask within this group? Would he be the of, guy? Of the 22 middle? class? Yeah. Hmm. I tend to think he would still be in the like he wouldn't. He'd probably be closer to the top than he was in last year's class for sure. Because I think last year's class, what was he probably like six or seven? Yeah, something like that. In the and he went in the second age. round. I mean, late so, end of the second round. But for this class, I would probably I think how is my QB one, and I, he doesn't have nearly the same ceiling does or ceiling that Mo, someone like Malik Willis offers, but he has a substantially safer floor. See, I think in that vein, I like Matt Corral because 
he is he offers a great balance of mobility arm strength uh he i don't know his rushing totals off the top of my head but he ran for a, for a, a good good amount of yards and um you know a lot of people were saying he won the week because he wasn't there and everybody else struggled uh i tend to like matt corral but that's not final i haven't gone all the way through all my evaluations but i will say Sam Howe is offers a sneaky amount of mobility. His best season in Russia, he rushed for 830 yards. Wow. I didn't realize that. And he, I mean, he was a really, you know, last year people were talking about him being, you know, kind of at the top of this class. And he, he has a ton of talent. Like he does have, um, you know, a really big arm and a lot of the traits, I don't know that you'd look for. I've heard him compared to Baker Mayfield. I don't necessarily love that because that comes with a negative connotation now, but I think that just means like his build is similar and he, in my estimation, he has a bigger arm, a little more skillful, like Mayfield really rocketed up draft boards, but originally he wasn't a guy that really stood out in terms of just raw talent. Yeah, I would agree. And then I want to go back to your other point real quick about Josh Allen being a unicorn and how we we can't really expect that kind of development for guys because it's so rare. But, you know, as you said, what did Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson have in common? They had stable situations with the coaching staff that went all in. For Malik Willis, I think it's going to be the same thing. If he goes to a place like the Giants, you know, Dabble's been down that road. I'm, I'm a lot more interested then. If he goes to a place like Pittsburgh, Tomlin, I'm interested in that then. If he goes to a place like Detroit or Washington, I become much less interested because those are very unstable franchises and the coaching staffs generally turn over more often than not. So it's a lot of that is going to come down to landing spot for someone like him. And like I said, I'm not sure he's a top five quarterback in either of the past two classes, but the upside he offers and just the simply the demand the NFL teams want, he's probably going to be brought in as a top 10 pick to compete with somebody. And if he beats him, he beats him. And if, you know, he doesn't, that team will probably still be bad and pick another quarterback next year. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's kind of the way I look at it, right? It's like if you're going to draft a young quarterback, just go in on him. Like don't, you know, excuse my language, but don't half-ass it. You know, I've, yeah. I've seen the Broncos draft like Drew Locke in the second round. and Broncos like, was, is another good spot for Willis, I think. Yeah. I just don't, I don't know. Like if you're like, man, this guy's not good enough to take in, you know, the top half of the first round or even the first round, but we'll take a shot on him in the second and see what we have. Like you got to develop these guys, man. Like you, you have to. So um, I think Detroit would be interesting for Willis just because they can continue to throw golf out there and let him get beat up while they build up um, the rest of the franchise. But you're right in terms of coaching staff, like these guys need somebody uh, to show them the ropes. So it'll be interesting. Um, in terms of other positions, a few guys that I want to throw on everybody's radar that I was impressed by. I'm just going to say Trey McBride, even though, you know, I went to uh, Colorado State, so I've been watching him for a while. He's a a pretty special talent that people are starting to learn a bit more about. I apologize to whomever tweeted this out. I saw it on Twitter, and I don't recall who it was from, but somebody tweeted out that, he just might have the best hands at the senior bowl, not just amongst tight ends, but that includes wide receivers. And that's, he has great hands, but he does it all. He's a big physical, tough guy that can block. He can play in line. He can play outside. He, he does it all. He's 
<clears throat> he's great. And <clears throat> I know you have some, some impressive stats on McBride. The other guy I want to throw out is Christian Watson, um, North Dakota state. I thought of him as soon as you said that, you know, guys from smaller schools have a chance to kind of go against better competition and separate themselves. And, uh, Christian Watson's from North Dakota state. He's a guy, he's like six, four two ten. I mean, he's a big yeah. guy and everything I've heard was just so positive about him that he, you know, he looks like a, a true number one kind of reminds me of just Corey Davis, just in that like smaller school, bigger body. Um, he seems like a, a a guy who stood out to me this week. I will say the only thing that I of the notes that I read on Trey McBride is that he struggles with separation, but he's so big and physical, he wins a lot at the point of attack most of the time. So I just wonder how maybe something like that for a tight end translates into the NFL. And then you said with Christian Watson, I mean, he's just one of those guys, you know, six four, lanky, athletic. He fits his body style. You know, his athleticism matches his size. And I think stuff like that's important because I think one of the examples that I we were talking about this in the Twitch chat a couple of weeks ago was a guy, you know, Colorado State. Let's bring him back up. Warren Jackson. His yep. athleticism does not match his size. You can see that on film. He, he it, Everything feels very choppy. He looks awkward when he's running routes, but he's a, just a big dude. And that's how he won in college because he was so big. So Christian Watson is not like that. But yeah, both those guys really stood out. Any uh, any other names that jumped out at you? I don't know how dialed in you were to it all this week, but I do. Else? But I also don't want to say anything because I want to get them in my rookie drafts. <laughs> well, and look, this is just the beginning. We're gonna talk rookies all off season. We're gonna do a lot, so nothing, nothing to uh, you know. You don't have to give us all your your little secrets just now, but we'll uh, we'll get them out of you throughout the off season. That's for that's, sure. That's fair. Um, okay, let's move on to the Super Bowl then. Uh, pretty uh, pretty big game coming up this weekend. Um, believe the Bengals over under was set at like six and a half wins this year. Um, Zach Taylor was the odds on favorite to be the first head coach fired or at least one of them. And here they are in the Super Bowl. But I'm excited for this matchup. Uh, anything stand out to you about the matchup specifically? that you like on either side of the ball for these teams. Uh, Jamar Chase and Jalen Ramsey is going to be a fun battle, yep. which makes Higgins probably an X factor. He's he's going to going to have to have a big game, I would assume. Unless Jalen doesn't travel, then you know it could be a little bit back and forth. I think the loss of CJ Uzama is big. I don't think people really appreciated how good he actually was this season, especially blocking. And... I don't know who I'm picking to win. I really want to say the Rams. But I mean, I, I just I don't know. I feel like if if Cincinnati is going to win this game, their offensive line is going to have to step up. They're going to have to have the best game of this season, probably of each of their individual careers, because Aaron Donald can single handedly ruin this game. That's a you led me right into it. And we didn't even talk about this before um, we came on here, but. In terms of betting, um, obviously Matt Stafford is the favorite for MVP and, and rightfully so, and he's probably, you know, the safe bet. But I'm surprised. I've seen Aaron Donald's MVP odds at plus 1,800, anywhere from plus 1,200 to plus 1,800, which is incredibly good for a defensive, you know, a former defensive player of the year, an absolute game wrecker, especially when you consider that 
the Bengals offensive line isn't great. And the narrative really fits for him to win it because he's been there through, you know, the Jeff Fisher years and, and kind of the downs of that franchise to where they're at now. And, you know, the Bengals were heavily criticized for not adding to the offensive line and instead drafting a wide receiver. And I think they've kind of silenced those haters now, but it fits the narrative if Aaron Donald is able to kind of take over the game. So if Stafford doesn't ball out, if Aaron Donald, you know, has a few tackles for loss, a couple sacks, creates a turnover, I think we could definitely see him pull out the MVP trophy. I believe the Super Bowl record for sacks in, a, in that game is two. And I believe there are three or four guys that hold that, that are tied for that record. So do you think Aaron Donald gets three or two and a half? I think it's, two, well, I know Vaughn had two and a half and he won MVP that year. He also okay. forced at least one fumble. Um, so maybe the record's two and a half then. I don't, I don't think it's three. I, I would have seen that correctly. I don't think he gets more than it's just hard to imagine him getting more than two because they're they're gonna. I mean, the Titans had nine as a team. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, the the Rams now have. I mean, you have Von Miller there. You have this. They're just star studded, man. And I think team wise, they could have a lot of success. It just depends where how the Bengals play it. They're gonna have to scheme ways to you know mitigate that like they know coming into this game they're not just going to play it straight up and just let these guys go one-on-one and get after burrow they're going to you know try to mitigate that so i you know what else i think is a really good bet too speaking of defensive line mm -hmm. hendrickson i think whatever his prop is for sacks is probably a good bet and also the Bengals defense getting a pick six. Oh, i like I would, that i think i would take that there was a bet, um, I don't know what the odds were, but it was if the Bengals' first play would be a run or a pass, and I heard a stat that they opened with a pass on the first play about 80% of the time this year. So, And I think, you know, it's such an explosive passing offense. I think we could see, to, see them try to get that rolling early. So I would take, you know, the passing side on that. Um, I guess the last... The yeah, last thing I was going to say is that, you know, I've heard several media outlets talk about this on the morning TV shows. I know Sam and I talked about it last year when, when the Rams traded for Stafford. Jared Goff took the Rams to a Super Bowl. Matthew Stafford has to win it for this not to be a bust. Like, yeah. there is so much pressure on the Rams. They have not made a single first-round pick since Sean McVay got there. They, they trade their picks for premium players, which is fine. But they are, I believe, second in the league in players selected two through seven. So it's not like they're not picking picks. They just don't value their first that highly because in their mind, you know, we're picking 26 or later every time anyway. That's, you know, most teams only have, you know, 15 to 18 grades for a true first round player. So, you know, in their minds, we're trading a first. But, yeah, it's probably a second round grade type guy. So they – the Rams have gone all in. And then, you know, what happens moving forward? Do they re-sign Von Miller? Do they re-sign Odell Beckham? You know, this kind of stuff. So I think the Rams have to win this game. Otherwise, it will be seen as a total failure. Yeah, those are all good points. Um, they're they're just this star-studded team. Like, it's the exact opposite of the Bengals, who really kind of built from you know, hire a young coach, builds out his scheme, draft and develop, 
get your quarterback through the draft, um, draft your playmakers, all that stuff. Whereas the Rams just give up picks and go get these studs. And obviously they, you know, they drafted Cooper cup and a few of these guys, but um, it's really interesting to see. I remember a few years ago when Vince young, I think it was the Eagles, right. Where he called them the dream team. And I feel like this is actually that with the Rams, like they just, they have so many big name players and, Sean McVay, um, it's going to be in their home stadium, which, you know, a home team won it in their stadium last year for the first time ever, right? Now we could see it two years in a row, but all of those things combined, I think you're right. It's it's kind of a must win for them. Like, that's the expectation. Yep, I agree. And then as far as the Bengals go, this is the beginning of a very short window that we see in the NFL with Rook quarterbacks on rookie contracts because as soon as burrow get paid gets paid i think what was the stat that we i remember talking about this all of us last summer it was like when a quarterback has more than like 15 or 16 percent of the total salary cap or something like that maybe the number was 12 might have been a little lower there's never been a team that wants it's won a super bowl like never when when the quarterback's salary uh cap number reaches a certain percentage and everybody's like oh well what about tom brady i'm like you know tom brady in new england took discounts every year like significant discounts so they could build a team around him. Uh, you don't see that often guys want to get paid and I'm not, you know, I'm not calling people selfish or anything like that, you know, go get your money. But when quarterbacks get paid, you generally actually never win Super Bowls. So this well, is kind of a now or never situation also from the Bengals perspective, but in a different way. Yeah. I mean, you look at what Rogers, like he's on his way out. I think he's leaving in part because they're in salary cap misery and, if they, I've heard that they're going to try to just put as much money in front of him as possible and just gut the rest of their team. But is that appealing to him where he gets paid, but they have to gut the rest of their team. And that's, that's the unfortunate reality when these quarterbacks get into that elite level and you have to pay them as such. Mm -hmm. Um, so I know you said you don't really know who you think is going to win, but I mean, we need a prediction. Is it, is it, is it going to go as many expect? Do we think the Bengals have actually have a decent shot at this? I'm going to go the Rams simply because of my first point. I don't think the Bengals O-line can hold up against this D-line. Well, you kind of took the words out of my mouth. That's pretty much what I was going to say. Um, I think the Bengals are good i'm not gonna say they like don't deserve to be here because they do i think they're actually a legitimate team that just crept up on us uh and you know burrow bouncing back maybe more quickly than we had thought all of those things but we talked about that pressure that's on the rams and i just think mcvay is a stud like they've got that coaching staff is really strong from top to bottom you know odell beckham has been playing really well. He's rejuvenated. Cooper Cup's having, you know, the greatest season from a wide receiver. Matt Stafford's rejuvenated. You got Von Miller, like we talked about, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey. I mean, this is just these guys know what's on the line here. They're playing for a Super Bowl. They're but the, a lot of them are playing for their legacy, right? And um I think I just think they're gonna come out and and I don't think they're gonna just dominate, but I think they're gonna win. Um, I think it's, they're going to lead throughout and, and kind of be in control. Um, and with that, I think, you know, if you're playing like DFS or that kind of stuff, 
I might stack some of these Bengals. I just think I could see Burrow, Chase, Higgins, et cetera, playing catch up uh, throughout the game. And, and you know, with the Rams get out to an early lead, Bengals are playing catch up, that kind of game. That's kind of what I envision. Yeah, I definitely don't think it's going to be a blowout kind of game. I think we'll have a good game probably through and through. And it's going to be close. It'll probably be sloppy. I don't anticipate a, a really clean game. I'd be surprised. And even though I'm picking the Rams, it wouldn't surprise me if the Bengals won, you know. But there's this interesting topic that I saw floating around. And so I just want to get your perspective because it made me think. And I, I'm inclined to agree, but maybe it's just me and I'm overanalyzing it. The winner of this Super Bowl, this whichever team it is, Bengals or Rams, compare that winning team to like the last 10 teams to win a Super Bowl. This is probably, how do I say this correctly? Maybe the least appealing or the least, you know what I'm trying to say? Like a team that's, no. <laughs> no, I like don't know the, how to say it. Like the worst, the worst, the worst team to win a Super Bowl. It's like neither of these teams are really, I mean, they're both good. But if you look at like the past 10 winners, like there was like, think back, you know, when the Eagles beat the Patriots one year, like that was a phenomenal Eagles team. You know, when when Seattle had the 2014 or the 2013 defense, like that was a phenomenal team. When Peyton Manning won, what was it, two years later, that was a phenomenal team. It's like all of the winners of the past handful of Super Bowls, they've been total phenomenal teams. I'm not sure we could say that about either one of these teams. That's a fair point. I think what's really intriguing to me. A winner's a winner, but. Well, yeah. And when you think about like the NBA champions, right? Um, It's all like these, you know, it, you have to have LeBron, you have to have Giannis, you have to have one of those guys. And it's usually you acquire a few big names in free agency and you have this big three, big four, whatever. That's kind of how the Rams are built. And it makes it intriguing because it's like a different way that we haven't seen before where, I mean, we've seen guys, obviously that, Broncos team, you know, Peyton Manning, Emmanuel Sanders, and uh, TJ Ward, Akib Talib, like a lot of those guys they brought in in free agency and stuff. But this is like the Rams just plucking whoever they want and throwing picks away and just building this, you know, the biggest names they could buy. And so, or, you know, think about baseball too, like Yankees, Red Sox, like teams like that. That's kind of who they are to me. I see your point, but I think just in terms of like roster and you know, McVeigh and just all that stuff. I think they're, they're in line with like talent wise, but I think it's just a little different because they had a lot of new pieces this year. They haven't necessarily built up, you know, this resume where Stafford's been there for five years, getting them, you know, knocking on the door, that kind of thing. So um, that's possible. I just thought it was a fun thought. What about, um, let me ask you this. Do you know when, cause I'm just thinking about like the MVP stuff. It's, you know, it's, it's usually quarterbacks. There's a few defensive guys in there. Like I mentioned with Vaughn and then obviously Malcolm Smith. Um, but it's usually quarterbacks. Every once in a while wide receivers. Do you know when the last time a running back won the Super Bowl MVP was? I actually get, I heard this, somebody brought it up on, uh, I believe it was a PFF podcast and I, I actually guessed the correct answer, but it's, it's, it might be surprising to some. Um, I have a guess. 
Just give us your guess. It's but it's probably wrong. I don't know why, but for some reason, and he might not even be on the team. I could, I don't know. It's just, a, I'll give you the first name that popped in my head. It was the Broncos Super Bowl a handful of years ago. No Sean Marino? No. Because yeah. Von Miller won it, remember? We just talked about that. Oh, against the Panthers. You're right. But it is a Broncos running back. It was 1998, Terrell Davis. Mm. So, and that just shows you, I mean, think about when the Chiefs won it, right? Everybody thought, uh, Daryl Williams had this great game and he was deserving of the MVP, but it still went to Pat Mahomes. Like it's just, uh, it's just almost always a quarterback unless it's, you know, maybe a pass rusher, maybe a guy in the secondary has a few picks, um, like, you know, a Malcolm <laughs> Smith type of game or, yep. um, let's see. Game, game of a lifetime. Yeah. So it's probably going to be Stafford unless like, all or of Burrow. or Burrow, yep. Unless all of their production goes to like one of those wide receivers, because there are some big name wide receivers, um, or unless somebody just wrecks it from a defensive perspective. But yeah, I, I think I think Aaron Donald could be a sneaky uh, bet for Super Bowl MVP. You know, especially with that Bengals line as we talked about. I'm not saying you need to throw down everything, but depending on what it is, plus whatever, that might be something worth throwing. You know, ten fifteen bucks down on. Yeah, I just thought, I mean, when I first saw plus 1,200, I thought that was a little high for him. And then I found it plus 1,800, and I was like, that's that's too much. So I think that's a good bet. But um, there's a lot of, you know, this can be a good game. In this game. So, and I'm excited yeah. for the halftime show. Eminem, Snoop Dogg, all those guys. See, I just feel like, I mean, I am too. I like, you know, like this group. Uh, but I just feel like the hip-hop stuff doesn't really land with, so much of the Super Bowl crowd, like I don't know, hip hop live is just not that great, and I feel like people are just going to be like, "What is this?" I guess it would depend on who it is. I mean, think about like because you know, I've been to some concerts that have been pretty amazing. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I just like in general, like you think the older generations really going to like be sitting there like this is cool? I don't care about them. That's fair. <laughs> as long as you and I are happy with it. This is why the NFL does this, because this is the younger crowds of pay more. They're yep. trying to entertain us. That's fair. That's true. That's why they always keep the young, the next what is generation. It? it would be between 20 and 55, 50, 45 is probably the age group. Who would be your, if you could pick any super, like if you were in charge. So I'll just, I, uh, I don't think I mentioned this here i told somebody recently but i i worked in you know like sports marketing for a bit and then i worked in tv programming and i i interviewed for a job at at the nfl nfl network and i turned it down because it was just a, a temporary job but i would have been part of the group that selected the halftime show and so my question to you if you could pick if it was just your pick whoever you wanted who would you pick to host the Halftime show or to perform? That's a really difficult question because a lot of the stuff I listen to is not Super Bowl worthy. Like, yeah. I'm a big John Mayer fan. You don't want to listen to John Mayer at the halftime of a Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, I like classic rock. Like, you wouldn't want to listen to the Eagles unless it was some of their, like, more up-tempo stuff. I don't know. That's a good question. I think, to... I think The weekend would have been one of my top picks, and he was The weekend. Yeah, I, I really, really like The weekend, but that 
particular performance was kind of yeah it was meh. I yeah I don't know let me look here let me just do a quick scroll it's a it's a tough question it's 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 tricky I'm with you though I listened to like some like house music like house electronic stuff which I love mm-hmm. but it I wouldn't really be Super Bowl worthy um trying to think like a, i don't know drake maybe something like that maybe. Uh, did, did queen ever play i don't queen, think so queen, be, queen would be a good one that would be really good yeah i'm a big schoolboy q fan but i don't know if that would be appropriate <laughs> <laughs> well i mean if snoop dogg and dr dre are on it i feel like schoolboy q could rick ross would be cool See, that's like rap, and then if you want to go into like The Rock, not The Rock, not his single rap song. You know? Yeah. We have power, we devour, whatever that is. I just feel like just throw some really good vocalists out there. That's like always a safe bet. Like, I thought the the Bruno Mars one was, was an awesome show. Yeah, that's a great example. Agree. All right. Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett. There you go. <laughs> I'm I'm totally down for a Jimmy Buffett halftime show. I'm sure the audience Afro is man. Cool. You know what? I lived in Palmdale, which is where Afro Man is from, and I used to tell people that, and a lot of people were like, Who's Afro Man? He I'm came to he came that. to Tuscaloosa a lot when I was there. That's awesome. All right. Um, let's move on to these head coaching hires. We talked about a few of them last week, but we got some, got some new ones on the board this week. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings, let's start there because last week on the show, we mentioned that it was Jim Harbaugh's interview was expected to be a formality that, you know, he was probably going to get hired. And then that, that did not become the case. I think, you know, I've heard a few different things. I've heard that he was expecting to get an offer and he didn't. Um, I've also heard that ownership kind of put their foot down and said, we don't think he really fits the culture and, and what we're about here, which is fair because I know he can be a lot to take, but then why even let him come in for an eight hour interview? And you hired this new general manager who has a history with Harbaugh and you hire the the general manager first and let him conduct the coaching search. So you, I mean, you can't really hire a new GM and say, you know, this is your search, do what you want. And then be like, Oh, but actually not him. Right. So that's kind of, if if that's the case, I don't love that. Um, But I don't think O'Connell's a bad choice. Yeah. I think I actually sent this in our Twitter group message. I don't know if you saw Courtney Cronin, she covers the Vikings. I don't know. I don't remember who, who for, but, I follow her. She's a great follow for all Vikings information. She said that what she was told was that there are a lot of me guys on the Vikings team and the Vikings ownership wants more team guys. And they didn't feel that Harbaugh was the right coach to, I guess, I don't want to say get rid of, but just, you know, bring a more team culture as opposed to a me culture. And which I, that's got to be one of the most deflating things you could possibly hear as a coach, to be honest. Oh yeah. And that's kind of what I said last week. Like a lot of these college guys, including Harbaugh 
and I know he, he's been in the NFL, but just a lot of these guys that do coach are successful in college. They have a big ego because it's all about them in college, right? Like players come you and go. You can do everything, anything. Yeah, anything. Players come and go, but I mean, Nick Saban is the absolute GOAT, right? And if Harbaugh wins, I mean, Harbaugh's a huge name guy, right? And once you get to the NFL, it's not about the coach anymore. It's about the players. And so I get that. I just think they hired this general manager who I really like, you know, what I know about him. Kwesi Adolfo Mensa is, you know, he's incredibly bright, smart dude. I just don't love the idea that you hand the search over to him and then say, eh, never mind. I don't want you to hire this guy. But I think O'Connell is a good choice. I've heard a lot of good things about him. He obviously comes from the McVay tree, but he's that West Coast offense kind of guy. He was a quarterback. He was drafted by the Patriots. He played behind Tom Brady for a few years, and Brady spoke really highly of him. And, you know, he just seems like he's uh, got the right mentality. Like, he's not Jim Harbaugh, like the me, me, ego thing. Like, he seems like a very genuine guy and, and really smart, and I'm interested to see what he can do. So I, I do I do want to go through these these numbers when we go through these coaches. Um, Kevin O'Connell has been in a prominent role f- since 2019, so I'm not going to count 2019 against him because he was dealing with players like Haskins and Keenum and this weird rotation in Washington. But the last two years in uh, Los Angeles, uh, the pass rank for the team has ranked 12th and 10th. So I can think we'll have a high passing offense in Minnesota based off of history there. His rushing attempts for running backs was 8th and 15th. So we're probably looking at a middle-of-the-pack rushing attack. Uh, For wide receivers, the target ranks were ninth and 2nd. And then for tight ends, the target ranks were 14th and 25th. I like Irv better than I do Higby, so I wonder if that had a lot to do with just the fact that they had a lot of options in in uh la as opposed to in minnesota you kind of have justin jefferson and it's just a, a group of guys who are very unsure about osborne smith marset irv so on and so forth so I, th- this based on o'connell's history this feels like the new vikings regime is going to be pass heavy and middle of the pack running rushing offense i think that's fair um a couple other notes i would add on o'connell is he was before that 2019 stint as Washington's offensive coordinator. He was their QB's coach and passing game coordinator. He worked with Kirk Cousins there. So there's a little bit of a history. So I think it probably increases the odds that Cousins ends up back in Minnesota, but I agree. can't say for certainty. Um, and then there was something, oh, with the Rams, he he obviously doesn't call, obviously McVay calls the plays, but he, O'Connell's in charge of the script. So he runs the first 15 plays of the game. And they have been better off of the script than on. They haven't scored a ton of points on the script, but a big part of that, I believe, was, you know, the script is also used to kind of determine what the defense is doing and how you're going to play it and what's working and what's not. It kind of sets the table for the rest of the game. So I don't know that you can really read too much into that, but it is nice to know that he was in charge of the script, which means he had his hands, you know, all over the, the game plan as a whole. So I think that's a, that's a positive as well. Yep. I agree. So do you think then Kirk Cousins will have more at the offense at the line than maybe in previous years? Yeah, probably. 
Okay. I would think so. And I like, I like, I like former uh, quarterbacks as coaches because they have that special relationship with the quarterback, and they do tend to give them a little bit of freedom and and stuff like that. Especially a veteran like Cousins, uh, it'll just be interesting to see because obviously Spielman and Zimmer were kind of. It seemed like Cousins was you know was not going to stick around, but with this change, I feel like there's there's a decent chance. So, yeah. Again, I, I think before we move off this, I just think the biggest question mark is Irv Smith. I know he's going to come back yep. fine from the injury. Not really worried about that. I'm just very interested to see what this role was because I know going into last year, apparently he had the summer of a lifetime. He was getting targets left and right. People were saying he's going to be the number two option behind Justin Jefferson. We saw Conklin go out there and push for 700 yards. So I just, I really wonder what Irv Smith is going to be only 23 years old. I mean, he has so much more time and room to grow. So I think he's a good buy low, to be honest, but, We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, no, I do too. I, th- I think I mentioned it uh, a few weeks ago because you look at what yeah. Conklin did in that offense and think about what Irv could do. But obviously it's going to be a different offense now, but you still have, you know, if Kirk is still around and you have some of those signature pieces and, and I mean, like you said, he's so young and Thielen's getting old and banged up a lot. I think Irv could definitely establish himself as the number two target in the offense. So I'm with For you sure. there. Um, okay. Jacksonville Jaguars hired Doug Peterson. That was an interesting, I guess, turn of events. He was their first interview, but we all thought the job was going to Leftwich. Leftwich wanted um, control over the roster, and I think he wanted Balky out, and that obviously didn't happen. So Doug Peterson comes in. What are your? I have some thoughts on this, but I want to hear your thoughts first, especially with you know Trevor Lawrence there. I like this move a lot for Trevor Lawrence. We saw Doug Peterson develop. Carson Wentz, very different players, obviously. But this is a a good move for Trevor Lawrence. And at least the from whatever Urban was, this will bring a more calm, knowledgeable presence to that locker room, a more leadership type of presence. So that being said, Doug Peterson's history shows that he is a very pass-heavy uh play caller when he does call plays Carson Wentz uh almost had an MVP season in 2017 the touchdowns were up there interceptions were low then he got hurt so I do think this is big for Lawrence I dropped this in the discord uh the other day and one of the biggest things that I noticed about Doug Peterson's previous let's see here five six seven eight years of coaching is that they're pass heavy so you're going to want the quarterback in this offense and they have a position called the zebra position, which is not the standard slot receiver. It's a slot receiver that moves all over the place for all different positions. And that would be, at least on paper, LaVisca Chenault, and as well as an inline tight end that plays Y, which is someone who's always running down the middle of the field. So the three positions you're going to want in this offense are quarterback, whoever the zebra is, which right now looks like LaVisca, and the tight end. I don't know if that's Dan Arnold or not. That is... Dan Arnold was an urban guy, so they could draft someone. They could use Dan Arnold. It could be O'Shaughnessy. It could be Luke Farrell. It could be the um, Maritz guy, but we'll have to wait and see at that particular position. But I think this is a sneaky spot for a big offensive explosion this, this fall. So I think that's the biggest thing that I'm excited about is maybe some of these guys will finally take off, you know, fingers crossed on LaVisca. As far as the running backs go, it's he's always done a running back by committee. There's never been one guy. And I think that is the biggest 
bummer of this entire thing is that J-Rob, his, probably his role is going to shrink some. Although I will say when it was LeGarrette Blunt in New England, LeGarrette Blunt did get the more premier touches, a lot, all the red zone work and stuff like that. So I think as far as ETN and J-Rob goes, it'll probably be closer to 50, 50, 55, 45 in favor of one or the other, as opposed to J-Rob actually being the guy or ETN being the guy. But overall, as far as this coaching hire goes, I, I do like this. Yeah, I mean, my thoughts are a little more broad, I guess. You mentioned LeGarrette Blount with New England, but you mean with Philadelphia? Yes. Okay, yeah, I was like, I don't think he was with New England. Um, yeah, I, I think D- Doug Peterson was not one of my favorites in this cycle, um, just because... You know, you have to wonder how much, I mean, his relationship with Wentz, he helped develop him, but the relationship soured a lot of reports of, you know, kind of a toxic work environment, but, um, and you wonder how much of that Super Bowl was really Frank Reich's doing and, and stuff like that. But I think the biggest thing, this team needed an adult in the room for lack of a better way to put it, kind of like what you alluded to coming off that Urban Meyer debacle. I think he needs, what is it? four wins to replace urban Meyer as like the fifth, I think fifth all-time. all-time winning yeah. coach in Jackson. That's crazy. But you know, even if they hired somebody like Leftwich, who, you know, I like, and a lot of people respect, and I think he could be a good coach. It's he's still like an unknown. You don't really know what you're getting, getting a super bowl winning coach in there regardless is just, I think a big win for this franchise that needs that voice, that stability, somebody who's done it, somebody who's been there just, that adult presence in the room because they haven't yep. had that. And another guy who's a former quarterback and now that's, that's always great news for a team with a young quarterback. So um, I'm with you. I like it, like it from that perspective. The last thing I'll say, and I have been, I was vocal about Visca coming out of his rookie year because I think he did put together a good rookie season, a very promising one. Year two last year was very disappointing though. I am I have my fingers crossed. I am not, I don't want to say I'm cautiously optimistic. I guess I'm not banking anything. I'm not telling anybody to go trade for him or anything like that, but his value has gotten low. He might be worth looking into, but with this particular offense and his skill set, the perfect storm is brewing for that elusive year three breakout. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I don't know if it will, but if it were to happen, he's it's the right time in the right situation yep good point and i will just say i'm a i'm a dan arnold guy love dan arnold so i hope he's he's uh like i said the three guys you want in this offense are the quarterback the slot and the tight end yeah i think just look at what he did with them last year i think he gets a gets a shot to be the guy there this year but we'll see um let's move on to the houston texans what a debacle um I mentioned on the show last week, uh, Sam was talking about McCown and I know he was, I know they love McCown. They interviewed him when he was still on the team to be their head coach. Um, I said to look out for Jonathan Gannon. I was told that Jonathan Gannon was their guy, but they had disagreements on staff input. The fact that they ended up promoting Lovey Smith, who was on their staff, tells me that they probably wanted to force Lovey Smith onto Jonathan Gannon, perhaps even Pep Hamilton. And he said, no, he wanted control over his staff. And 
they ended up just hiring Lovey Smith. To me, it's kind of a, I don't know, it's a whatever hire. Like, he's a guy who's done it, fine. It just, you know, why did they even get rid of Coley? But um, I think it's fine for now. But it'll be interesting because they love McCown. We know that. So is it just, uh, you know, a one, two-year thing with Lovey Smith before they do turn it over to McCown? No idea. Yeah, this, nobody, this franchise I mean, is, is very peculiar. I will say, though, from a fantasy perspective, if you play redraft, you know, the Texans D might be worth looking at. Lovey Smith has basically two calling cards, playing really, really good defense and running the heck out of the football. That's about the only two things that, that's appealing about this particular or his coaching history, I should say. So the quarterback, I mean, what, what do you have the – Who's, who's he had playing quarterback with him in Chicago? He had, was it Jay Cutler for a couple of years? Yes, he was there. He was and then, there and, the, and then it was, what's his face? Was the head coach? Who else? Glennon, maybe. Even before mm-hmm. that. Did they have, um, was Brian Hoyer there? or? Oh, he had Kyle Orton, Rex Grossman, eventually Cutler. And that's it, actually. So, so not a stellar group. Right. And now we have Davis Mills and somebody else probably to compete. So this feels a very, very like a lot of the same of what he what he had to work with in his previous tenures. Yep. So the Agreed. only I, th- I think the only things that I would be interested in in this offense, uh, he, uh, they do feature one receiver in his in his particular style of offense. So you want whoever the one is, whether that's Cooks or Nico Collins, and the running back, and that's probably it. Yep, I agree. I mean, I don't like. There's just not much. To I don't. Say. It's, it's just, just yeah, like you said, it's it's not exciting and it's borderline poor. It's very in the middle. Who cares? But I wouldn't be surprised at this point if they stick with Mills. Um, I think they know, will for your. It's not a strong quarterback class. He showed. He showed pretty well, I thought, you know, especially late in the season. And they got the OC right, though, keeping Pep Hamilton. So yep. I, I will give them that. And, and I'm just going off Lovey's past. Maybe Pep Hamilton brings a little something to the offense that we haven't seen before. So, yeah, it's a good point. Uh, the Miami Dolphins hired Mike McDaniel. That's who I was hoping would get that job. I really like Mike McDaniel. I was hoping the Broncos would look into him some. I know there was some chatter about you know, coaches trying to bring him over as an OC because he doesn't call the plays in San Francisco, but he ends up getting a head job. Um, He's only 38 years old, so he's kind of on the younger side, but he's a lot of experience. He was on that Washington staff that everybody's referencing with Matt LaFleur, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay. He was a part of that. He's been with Shanahan. Well, his first job was under Mike Shanahan in Denver as an intern. And then he followed Kyle around. And so he's really uh, an architect of that West Coast offense. He's he's a genius. He went to Yale. Um, if you don't know his story, I, I tweeted this, but he uh, he struggled with alcoholism. And, and he actually went to rehab for a bit when he was with the Falcons. And Kyle Shanahan and staff supported him. And I think he's been sober for like six years, five, six years now. So that all seems to be behind him. But the way players talk about him... Um, you know, I, I know Andrew Hawkins spoke up about him. I saw some stuff on Twitter. I think Pierre Garcon, a few wide receivers, especially have spoke up just about his creativity and his intelligence and, you know, just 
the kind of guy he is. And, and I think he's going to be a very good uh, play caller there. I think it's always tough to tell when, you know, these guys who haven't been in this position before will kind of lead as a head coach. But I think just in terms of the offense, I think it's going to be great for Tua and Jalen Waddle, especially um, love it for Jalen Waddle. I think he's, I think he's a very, very creative play caller and we're going to see, you know, I, I think the Dolphins offense at times was like, you know, what are we really doing here? It was Tua just throwing short and then trying to run the ball and play defense. I think we're going to see a lot of creativity out of this offense, which could really help Tua. So I'm excited about this hire. Yeah, I do think it is a good hire as well. I think Tua is now going to be in that perfect spot. And sorry, Chance, if you get mad, but Mike Mike McDaniel kept Jimmy Garoppolo from making stupid plays most of the time. And now Tua's going to get that same kind of kind of coddling, you know, just drive the car. You don't have to do anything special. I'm going to put you in good spots. You make the throws, we'll be good to go. So I think that's actually perfect for what Tua has shown us to his first two years. Now, could Tua continue to progress and be this superstar, you know, top 10 guy? It, it, it's possible, but from what we've seen, it looks like he's closer. He's a better version of Jimmy Garoppolo. He makes, I don't want to say less mistakes, but more talent than what Jimmy G has, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. And um, I know McDaniel, there was something on social media. McDaniel was telling Tua, like, my job is to get greatness out of you. Like, basically, you know, we believe we believe you have it in you, and my job is to get that out of you. So, um, yeah, I think it, that's that's what it comes down to. That helps so much when your quarterback doesn't have to play hero ball because you can help him from the sideline. You can design things that are easy. Right. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's an exciting combination. It's an exciting pairing. Uh, also, the running back situation, you know, we had a lot of Elijah Mitchell, Jermichael Hasty. They drafted Trey Sermon, a lot of different guys, uh, Raheem Mostert. So I think this is going to be the 49ers offense of the East for all practical purposes. I think it's going to be run heavy. Um, fingers crossed they keep Mike Gesicki now because that role could be enormous in this kind of offense. Yeah, very true. So I, I, I do I, I do think this is going to be a, a very good fit. And the Dolphins are on the map now, for sure, especially with that defense already. Yep. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that the Bills and the Patriots battled this out for the AFC East title next year. I think the third party has entered the conversation, and it's not the Jets. <laughs> yeah, that's good clarification. I think uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do at uh, running back, too, because I don't I don't think Gaskin's going to be the guy. I think they're going to, they could add somebody like Fournette or they could, I mean, Raheem Mostert, I know he's injured all the time, but they worked together in San Francisco and Mostert was beautiful in that offense. You could see them go after Mostert, kind of a running back by committee. Maybe they draft somebody or they pay up for like a Leonard Fournette and try to get the most out of him for a few years. I don't really know. It'll be interesting. I think the, the, background of mcdaniel and and kind of shanahan in the west coast style is you get somebody cheap like Mostert, maybe you draft somebody late and you kind of just make it work with you know any running back can be good in that system is kind of you know not anybody but you know what i mean like they find the traits that matter and and look at elijah mitchell right kind of coming out as a late round rookie so i did think that they would make a play for like a leonard fournette but 
I'm not so sure now. They might kind of go a little more under the radar. Melvin Gord would be a really good fit in that offense. Yeah. Yeah, he would. It'll be interesting, but that's, yeah, I, I think whoever the running back is, Tua, Waddle, and if Gesicki sticks around, give them all a bump. I'm excited the, to the, see that play out. The only thing that's different, obviously, there's a lot of different things between Gesicki and Kittles. Kittles a much, much better, like much, much better blocker right. than Gesicki. Gesicki's, a, for all practical purposes, a massive slot wide receiver. Yep. But he is a free agent, but I think it is going to tell us if he does resign, then that's, you know, he's going to be a big, massive part of that offense. And if yeah, he does, and if, and if he doesn't resign, then I think that that name is, is someone to watch. I'm not a big Hunter long fan, but I think he would be the name that you would see pop up often, but they could, this is this 2022 class is very deep at tight end. So this, that, that position is going to be a name to watch if it's not Kosicki. And other free agents. I mean, if they don't want to pay Gesicki, but they, you know, David and Joku, who I've talked Ger- about, Gerald love, Everett, Gerald Everett. I mean, just any of those guys. OJ Howard. Them. Yep. So, yep. Exciting stuff there. Um, maybe not as exciting, but maybe predictable. Dennis Allen hired as the Saints head coach. I think that was a good hire. I mean, it's not flashy. It's it's not you know, necessarily inspiring, but I feel like they need some stability. And he's a guy who's been in that organization under Sean Payton kind of would have been tough to make a splashy hire outside of the organization and bring in somebody new when they're in a tough situation with their cap situation and, and all the roster's not great. It, it might be a bumpy road for a few years. So I think it makes sense to give the keys to Allen, see what he can do the next couple years. And then, you know, maybe you, you kind of rebuild a little and then bring in somebody new or, or just keep him around if, if things are going well, but he also has head coaching experience. You know, people forget he was the head coach of the Raiders for a couple of years. And, um, but he's been in the league for a long time as a defensive assistant and defensive coordinator. So um, what did, uh, what did you think of this hire? It felt safe, but, but at the same time, like you understand that because Sean Payton's been there for so long, you do want to keep some continuity, especially with a lot of those guys being older. You don't necessarily want everybody to hand in a trade request at the same time. So from that perspective, you know, just trying to keep as much of it together as you can with the same system, the ideas, the culture, the thoughts, so on and so forth. I think, I think that was probably the right move for them. There is a chance, you know, they could revisit a new head coaching uh, search next year, maybe two years from now. I don't know if Dennis Allen is the long-term answer. I will say though, that looking at his history though, he is generally top 10 in pass attempts. And as far as rush, rushing attempts go, he ranks in his three years in Oakland, he was ranked 30, 32nd and 32nd. So this, his offense does not run the ball. And the running backs he had were pretty good. Someone by the name of Darren McFadden. And his quarterbacks were Carson Palmer, Terrell Pryor, and one year of Derek Carr. And the receivers were underwhelming. Darius Hayward Bay, uh, Santonio Holmes, and and some of those guys. So I I feel like, you you know, you think, okay, pass heavy doesn't run often. And then you look at the Saints roster and you're like, who's the quarterback and are running backs in jail? Like, I mean, what? What's yeah. what's go, what's going on? So it's just, like I said, I, it's probably the right move from a front office perspective. But I think you know Sam talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I think the Saints are going to be just really bad. I do too, and that's why not to just be like 
here you go, Dennis Allen. You can be the fall guy in a couple of years, but kind of seems that's the way it's trending. And, yeah. and, you know, that's just kind of the way it goes. But it is interesting. Most defensive coaches come with a run-heavy approach, but you mentioned his pass-heavy history. And when he was in Oakland, I mean, he had Terrell Pryor, Matt McGloin. Like, it's not like, you know, they didn't have Derek Carr at the time. So um, I think that's noteworthy as well. Yep. Um. Yeah, it, and I'm with you, though. I think the Saints are just going to be bad for a little while, and maybe they, you know, in a year or two, they they make a bigger splash there when they've kind of rebuilt a little and have I will, some more things to build on. Yeah, I will say, though, last note is that the Saints and Washington made a strong push for Mitchell Trubisky at the trade deadline this year, so they might revisit the, those conversations now that he's a free agent. Good point. That is a good point. What, um, just the coaching hires as a whole, I guess, what was your fate? Like, who was your favorite hire? Who do you think is going to crush it in their new, new spot? Really slow cycle. Let me, let me start by saying that I felt like it took forever to get guys in. I did. But who do I think is going to crush it? It did. I think, you know, I, think, I noticed well, that with, people are just seem to be a little more meticulous. I noticed that, especially with the Broncos when Elway was in here, it was over like that. And you knew who he's going to hire. Um, George Payton took his time, interviewed 10 guys, took like two weeks. And it seemed like the whole league kind of followed that. And I think that's how it should be. Like, this is a big decision. You want to interview guys multiple times. You want to go through a big list of candidates. You want to meet them in person. You want to have them in your building, all that stuff. So it was slow, which can be frustrating, but I think it, that's a smart way to go. Yeah, I mean, I think it's always how it should be. You know, you said that. But for some reason, the standard and what we're used to is that's not what it is. So that's, I guess, why it feels slow. Right. And in reality, the teams probably went about it the right way. I think the – I don't know, because I'm looking at the list of names here. It's like Mike McDaniel feels like a really good fit in Miami. But we don't know. Yeah. Because there's no – there's not a ton of – background you know sometimes it just doesn't work you know sometimes we see guys that are just better suited for coordinator roles when taking on a head coach there's just too much on their plate the bears and matt eberflus i don't not a huge huge fan of that and the oc hire was even more questionable nathaniel hackett and the broncos it feels like it, it could be a really really special marriage but again as sam alluded to he's just bringing over a bunch of green bay guys and I don't know how that's going to work. I know you had a really good thread on it, but I, I think, I think it's probably going to work. But I do think there is a still a lot that is to be determined there. Yeah, go check out my Twitter thread. I, I put a lot of info in there. It gives yes. a lot of my thoughts. But yeah, yep. that's that's a fair concern. I think. I think one thing that I'm going to add. Sorry to cut you off. If you're, oh, you're good. You I was, last name I was going to say is Brian Dabble. I just, yeah, I think, I think he's probably the most interesting. Pro- the guy that I would have wanted on my team if if they were looking for a new head coach, because we know what he did with Josh Allen, and we already know that the Giants, whoever that, that's going to be a pass happy offense for sure. Yeah, so, I really. So like- I don't think Daniel Jones is the guy. I don't think Saquon Barkley is back after this season. So I think it's going to be a slow year one. But you're going to pick up want to pick up a lot of the pieces of this particular offense when he starts to bring in his own guys, and that could start with this year with someone like Malik Willis, with because the Giants have two top ten picks. That would be a really interesting fit, Willis yep. with Dable. I like that hire. I like Dable. I like Mike McDaniel a lot and Nathaniel Hackett. One thing that I forgot to mention with like 
bringing in like Doug Peterson or, or, you know, a Mike McDaniel type. And, and this is where we talked about the bears bringing in Eberflus and And I told you guys what their plan was that they did have a plan for Justin Fields and bringing in, you know, OC Luke Getze. <clears throat> when you have a young quarterback, you want to pair them with a guy who can develop them. Right. But when that guy is an offensive coordinator, if he's successful, like if, if you hire, if Luke Getze is successful in developing Justin Fields and Fields has a great year next year, Luke Getze is probably going to be a head coach somewhere else. So you lose that guy. When you bring that guy in as your head coach, like Brian Dable, he sticks around. And that's another thing with Doug Peterson going to Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence. I think you don't want a guy coming in, say they hired, say Jacksonville hired a defensive coach, but they got this shiny offensive coordinator. He really helps Lawrence. Well, then he's probably going to be gone in a year. You want that head coach quarterback relationship for a long time. And so I think that's another element that, that people don't really see on the surface, but I think that goes a long ways. You got to think about your coaching staff getting plucked away and, you know, you don't want to lose your quarterback's main man. Now we'll see, you know, the bills did it with bringing Dable in and they were fortunate enough to keep him for whatever he was there for what four seasons. That's a pretty long run. So, but it, you're always at risk um, when you have an, an offensive coordinator getting plucked away if, if he helps develop your young quarterback. So I like having a, an offensive guy as your head coach in that regard. But again, going back to what we said at the top of the show is that that's what makes guys like Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson unicorns because their coordinators were able to stay. And not only that, they have the same QB coaches yeah. for, their, for their entire tenure. It's 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 the head coach the OC and the QB coach. If you can keep all three together and all three kind of form a marriage based on their philosophies and how they want to go about this stuff, that is when you get, you know, guys that are very questionable kind of prospects that blossom into total superstars, which both of those guys have. And like you said, Dabo brings that Dabo's the head coach. He went out and he got his OC. I haven't seen who the uh, QB coach is. But it's another scenario where over the course of two or three years, you could that could be a potential spot for a blossoming superstar. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's uh, the ba- I, but, but in contrast as well, the Bears job, those three positions feel very shaky compared to the Giants. Right. So I don't know. It's possible. You know, Justin Fields might be the kind of player that can overcome these things, but I am much more not worried. I guess I'm intrigued. I'm less optimistic about him reaching his full potential than I am some of these other guys. Yeah. I mean, and it's rare to have your head coach, your OC and your QB coach all stick around because that quarterback coach, he wants the OC job. That OC wants a head job, like, and they're going to take opportunities to help them get there. And so it's rare that they all stick around. And I think that's, you know, going back to Hackett and bringing in, like, he brought in the tight end coach um, from Green Bay to be his OC. And it was like his third choice, which doesn't inspire confidence. The Green Bay Packers denied their request for the first two guys. And they, Hackett was just like, give me anybody, right? That's, that is concerning, but it's also because he, he knows what he wants out of his offensive coordinator. Now his new offensive coordinator knows that Hackett wants him to run things as Hackett did in green Bay. So that familiarity and saying like, I don't need this flashy offensive guru to come in. That's going to get plucked away and be a head coach in a year or two. I just need somebody that can 
you know, knows what I'm about and can lead the offensive staff the way that I want him to. So um, I think that's part of it too, is building a staff that you think can kind of stay together for a little bit because yeah, that continuity is important. So it'll be interesting to see how some of these young quarterbacks develop with these new staffs in place. That's obviously the biggest thing. It's kind of funny when you think about it. You have head coaches hiring guys and in like small fine print on the bottom of their resume, it says like, I'm hiring you because I know you're not going to leave for a long time. (laughs) It's just like, you're not the kind of guy to go off and get a head coaching job right away, but you fit perfectly in this particular role and what we need here. So, and I think that's part of it. Like the Broncos hired Justin out and I'm like, who? And you know, he doesn't have, he's the tight ends coach. And that's why I told you too, like I wouldn't get too caught up with, his title as tight ends coach. It's more just like he's a guy who can help Hackett build out the system and, and be his right-hand man. And he knows how Hackett ran things in Green Bay. He's going to run things the same way with his staff in Denver because Hackett's not going to be necessarily overseeing the offensive assistants as much as the OC is. And, you know, I think that's that's a big part of it too is just that, that relationship and kind of that security. But, yeah, that's... Well. I don't care what he does as long as Fant becomes properly used. Or if you're not going to use him, trade him away to somebody else and then properly use Alberto. I'll take right. either one. Right. No, I'm with you. Hopefully that's the case. I, I will say I do believe Hackett is about maximizing the talents that he has, which is one reason I like it. It's not, you know, some coaches come in and they fail because <clears throat> Josh McDaniels it's so much like we're going to do it this way. I need players that fit my system. No, you build your system around the strengths of your players. And if you're a good coach, you should be able to do that. Right. So, um, well, looking here at Hackett's, his, his position ranks since he's been all the way back to 13. His past attempt rank is middle of the pack. Past five years, 23, 19, 16, 24, 15. His rushing attempt rank going back the past five years is 1, 20, 13, 9, and 9. So it seems like he's definitely going to, at least in his history, suggests he's going to run the ball more. Targets rank for wide receiver, 18, 16, 18, 22, and 11. And then target rank for tight end, 29, 27, 23, 25, 22. But again, as you said, I wonder how much of that has to do with not having a good tight end. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And they, it's so who is the tight end in Jacksonville in 17? Do we know? And then after that, you had the one year of Tunyon, but he just scored a bunch of touchdowns. He didn't really do anything. Right. And then after that, it was Taguara and Mercedes Lewis. So that's not an exactly inspiring crew. It was Mercedes Lewis in Jacksonville. Okay. So I, does he only want a blocking tight end? Well, regardless, that's not what he has. But I think it's also noteworthy that they brought in Clint Kubiak. Um, yeah, that, that, he's I gonna have, like that too. He's going to have his fingerprints on the offense. And you look play, at what Minnesota Play action did. and tight ends. Yep. So I think that element will be there. but And I think that's a big reason why. Kubiak was brought in because he offers some of that stuff. I'm here for it. So um, it, it does feel, friends. it does feel though, like this offense does set up perfectly for Javante. Oh yeah. And that's what I told. Like he might not run the ball as much as we want him to, but he's going to be involved in the pass game for sure. 
So I think that that ceiling grows a little bit because I think we're there might be more targets than what we initially anticipated. And when he was in Jacksonville, he ran a lot of RPO type stuff with creative wrinkles too. Um, and a lot of it was things would set up, it would be an RPO, but it would set up as looking like a screen pass and stuff like that. Really creative misdirection type stuff. So he'll get Javante the ball in creative ways too, not just. Yeah. Uh, like you said, the one year he had Fournette down there, he Fournette did everything. Yeah. Literally everything. Yeah. So. I'm excited about the direction of Hackett and this offense. A lot of, what was it, nine new head coaches this cycle, which is a lot. So you see the way the league is trending, though. A lot of young offensive guys, quarterback developers, creative play callers, that sort of thing. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how these teams shake out with that. Um, you know, we'll get more into rookies throughout the offseason, talk more about that. But for now, you got any last words here, Matt? Last Super Bowl, you sticking with the Rams? You didn't give us a score, though. Give us a score. Okay. Let's go Rams. Let's go 27. Oh, my gosh. You read what? my mind. I'm going to say 27. Oh man! See, I want to say seventeen, but I feel like they'll they'll probably score more. I don't want to say twenty. What's the spread? Is it? It's four. So twenty-seven, four and a half. I was gonna say twenty-seven to twenty. I'll just throw it out there. I think feel like you were about to read my mind and say the exact same thing. I'm gonna say twenty-seven, twenty-two. All right, there you go. We'll circle back on this. I think it's gonna be a good game, though. All right. Uh, with that, as always, remember to head on over to patreon.com backslash fantasy scouts. We have so much good offseason content coming. Uh, we already have tons of stuff, but there's going to be more as this uh, rookie rookie drafts heat up, the combines on the way, all that stuff. We're going to do a lot of uh, rookie stuff, a lot of offseason work in terms of dynasty redraft and um I've got some DFS stuff coming next year, best ball, all that stuff. So head on over to patreon.com backslash fantasy scouts. Of course, check out the website at ffballallday.com. And we'll see you back here next week on the Fantasy Scouts podcast, where we bring you inside info you won't get anywhere else. <laughs>